Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Well, it's been a big, 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 big week for the Portland Trailblazers since last we talked. Oh, my goodness. There's NBA drafts and free agencies and all kinds of stuff going on. I'm Dave Deckard, of course, Managing Editor of Blazers Edge here together with Dia Miller. And we are so excited to have something new to talk about and so many names. We better almost dive right in. How are you feeling, Dia? I mean, honestly, right now, I I would take not new. We've had a lot of new that I have not been super comfortable with, so I'm ready for some good, comfortable old. <laughs> but here we are. So, so Neil um, Olshay served up a plate of gas station sushi, and you're going, no, I, I, I want my cornbread and chili or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how much can change in just a short time. You know, this time last year, we were looking at the roster and thinking, this is maybe the best roster we've had since Dame. We had high hopes. And now I'm struggling to feel connected as much as I normally do, if I'm being totally honest. Normally, this trade season messes with my emotions. Uh, I usually, I've been known to cry more than once, <laughs> if we're being honest. Uh, I dread the the notifications that come through talking about where players are going and all that. And Honestly, this year, I haven't really felt that. I, I, It's just been kind of a, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, I mean, there's been a lot of transition. Uh, we should probably start with free agency because that's when or where most of it has happened. The big move so far, Norman Powell. The Blazers have him back. Five years, $90 million, about $18 million a year, although we'll talk about that in a minute, the significance of that. But how are you feeling about Norm coming back? I'm relieved. It was interesting when that happened. Blazers Twitter just kind of went nuts. Everybody seemed to be so excited. And there was the, kind of this realization that this really should have been the, the bare minimum that we were excited about. We really should have kind of expected this and then been hoping for some bigger moves on top of that. But I think this last few months has taught us to not expect the expected because there's no expected with Neil right now. So I'm really glad. I think it's a good, I think it's a good deal. I think Norm is a good piece for us. I think he's a good fit with what we've got. I think he's going to be, you know, someone that we can do things with. So I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're not going to have a five guard lineup this season, which is uh, shaping up. But I, I like the look of Norm on the team for a longer period of time. Yeah, that excitement that you saw go across Twitter was the same excitement of as you're going to take a trip cross country, right? And the car started. Okay, because if that hadn't happened, the car's not going to start. You're not going anywhere. So at right. least we know the car started. And 
by that we mean the Blazers have now enough starting lineup depth to where they can probably make a trade, particularly C.J. McCollum, as we've talked about, without it being either lateral or futile. So the, the car's probably, I mean, the trip isn't made, and who knows how far we'll go. There's not enough gas in the tank to get there right now. A trade would kind of refuel that. But at least the engine turned over, and that's a big sigh of relief. It would have been an abject disaster had Norman Powell left and gone somewhere else. At that point, the sad trombones start to play, and then you have taps for the funeral. So none of that. We get to go on forward. Right now, Powell is still slated to uh, play the small forward position. We'll see if that changes before the season starts. I'm not sure that's any more viable now in the regular season sure but i ultimately i'm not sure that's any more viable than it was against denver uh in the playoffs but that's where we are here's the here's the subtle thing about that the blazers were expected to pay norman powell about what they did 90 million that's what we were speculating but we thought that would be over four years it's actually over five Here's yeah. why that makes a difference. There are actually a couple of ways they could structure that contract. One would be to front load it, which would actually make more intuitive sense, bite the bullet now, pay the big money now, and then get progressively less obligated as you go, making Powell easier to trade. I'm not sure that they did that. I haven't seen terms uh, yet, but I'm suspecting they didn't because there's another way to go about it, which is to get to $90 million by spending the minimum now and then increasing it with progressive raises as the contract goes. So it becomes more and more expensive as the contract goes along, but gives you less cap obligation right now. And why I suspect they might have done that is if they start out at about 15 million and change, which is what you'd need to get there for norm over five years to get to 90 million. What that means is they're not very far away from being able to use a full mid-level exception to sign somebody instead of a taxpayer mid-level exception. And the difference between that is taxpayer mid-level is 5.9 million, full mid-level is 9.5 million, which is a little bit different order of free agent. So first question is, did they structure Norm's contract to be able to do that? Second question is, can they make a salary dump trade of $6 million or so to get rid of that? Either, either trading a player outright for nothing or taking back $6 million or so, 5 or $6 million less than they bring in. If they do that, they'll be able to offer a, a free agent $9.5 million, and that's as good as anybody at this point. There are two or three teams with actual cap space. Other than that, they're going to be high in the pecking order or as high as anybody else. So watch for that to happen, perhaps, and watch for them to make a run at a good mid-level signing instead of just a so-so mid-level signing. No idea whether that's going to happen, but that might be the next thing on the plate. You have to kind of look at what's happening here and anticipate that there's a trade coming. Because, I mean, I, I joke about a five-guard lineup, but, like, legitimately, we have so many guards right now, and we're so small. I, you look at this, at, at these moves that have been made, and, and, you know, we were all kind of hoping for some big blockbuster move, and then instead we're getting more guards right, that are not going to be... Not to interrupt you, but that would never come in free agency because they don't have the money. The blockbuster move is literally no. the trade you're talking about. Right. But I'm saying when you're sitting back and watching, you know, you, you, you see maybe Blockbuster is a little bit strong, but you see these names on the board that are free agents and you think, hey, like that person could work. Hey, that person could work. And then we get 
guys that you just wonder, like, that's the only explanation. The only explanation is that Neil's getting ready to do something. And, and uh, good Lord, I hope that's the explanation, because if it's not, if that's not the only explanation, then quite frankly, uh, I have no, no words. I, I don't know what to do with this. This, this, this roster as it stands makes no sense. Well, so, they're getting, it makes financial sense. They're getting minimum level guys, which they need to fill out the roster because they have to fill roster spots and they right, don't want to go into the luxury tax if they can help it. So what the way to make that work with Damian Lillard's contract, CJ McCollum's contract, now Norman Powell's contract is minimum level guys. And what they're trying to do is get value level minimum level guys, which is, I mean, Cody Zeller, you could argue, is worth more than the veterans minimum. I'm not sure that Ben McLemore is. I'm not sure that Tony Snell is. But to your point, what those guys do do is they play that kind of wing position, that uh, shooting guard or small forward position that makes duplication there. So so what do you have? Let's spell this out. We got uh, Damian Lillard. We got CJ McCollum. We've got Norman Powell. You have Anthony Simons. You have Ben McLemore. And you have Tony Snell. Those are six players now. I and mean, we didn't even count C.J. Ellaby, who's sticking around, I assume. So that's seven players now who all play the same two or three positions. That's not, that's not actually bad. That's half of your roster is those small positions. But as you're pointing out, all those guys are also small players. Those guys are right. six or below. So you've got to suspect that that kind of duplication in skill, in size, and in position is now leading to somebody being moved so that that right. settles out and you get someone who's a little larger. Right, which is which was what my point was, that that as it stands, this doesn't really make sense when you've got Dame saying we need to have some things change and build a, a team that can do something, and then this is the team, these are the changes you start to make. I understand what you're saying. I agree with that. What I'm saying is that has to be the explanation because as it stands, this team doesn't doesn't do that. So hopefully, hopefully that's coming. This stuff is hard for me to watch. Like I get how it works. I know that there's, I know that this is not a one move, but it's like chess where, from what I know, where you have to see several moves ahead. And my brain, there's a reason I don't play chess, Dave. My brain doesn't work that way. My brain doesn't work several moves ahead. So we make one move and sometimes I forget what that can lead to. Sometimes we make a move and I think, wait a second, what? And it takes me a little while to get there. This is hard for me to watch. I have hope that something's coming. I have hope that we're going to see some big, you know, thing. But right now it's an interesting, it's, it's interesting. At least there's movement. Well, I mean, and so what do we know? Carmelo Anthony is gone. He is signed with the Lakers. Oh, so, can we just talk about that for a second? Sure, go ahead. That's sad. That was my one rough point uh, in this offseason. I knew Carmelo was going to leave. I did not anticipate he was going to stay. You know, he started taking Portland off his social media shortly after the season was over, and I didn't expect him to stay. And, you know, in all honesty, I'm glad he was able to come back in the league. I'm not bitter about him leaving. I think you go where you need to go, and I'm okay with that. But the Lakers, I just... Mello was one of my favorites, and now I'm going to have to watch. And I'm already getting texts from my friends that are Laker fans. And I just, I don't, uh, he could have picked 28 other teams, Dave, 28 other teams, and he went to the Lakers. That just kills me a little anytime we lose somebody to the Lakers. He's friends with LeBron James, though. I mean, that's, you know. I know. I know. And, you know, good for them. I'm glad they'll get to play together. But could they have played together on different? Team. Well, what's interesting about that, too, is like, now look at that. I mean, it's a weird thing that instinctively you think isn't going to work because you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James already. 
And then you had Russell Westbrook, which... Man, it's weird. Okay, yeah. I mean, not an outside shooter. Also needs to ball a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. And is known for eclipsing the players he's with. And LeBron yeah. is known for eclipsing the players he's with. Yeah. So what's going on there? Uh, is that really going to work? Or is LeBron not ready to play a full 82 and there's something else and Anthony Davis is injured and he's kind of they're going to get by on two wheels of the trike at any given time uh, for the season? Who knows? But they do all that, right? And then they get Dwight Howard back, who is no threat to those three, of course, but is a big name. They get Carmelo Anthony, who is no threat to those three, but is a big name. I mean, the Lakers are assembling... Uh, you know, an all NBA team from a decade ago, basically. Yeah. How is that going to work out? That's going to be a really interesting story. And I don't know how Carmelo walks into there. I don't know whether Carmelo walks in with the humility he had in Portland, or if he now walks in like I'm rejuvenated. And by the way, to get playing time here, I'm going to have to assert myself. That's a whole chemistry experiment that's bubbling down there that I am (laughs) curious to see. Yeah, it, you know, I was talking to my mom about this earlier today, and she said, you know, Melo came back and proved that he could he could be a team player and he could play wh- where he needed to play and come off the bench when he needed to come off the bench. He did that in Portland. Um, and so that makes him more attractive to other teams if if they think he can do that. But I don't I think you're right. I don't know if he can do that just anywhere. I think that was maybe kind of a special circumstance in Portland. And I think that the culture is different in L.A., I think the culture is different on that team. I think in Portland, it is very much a team atmosphere. And, you know, they they do what they can't. They do what they need to do. They take a back seat when they need to take a back seat. The Lakers strike me a lot more as a team that fights for their time and fights for their spots. And I think that that's going to be interesting. I think LeBron and Russell Westbrook together could be fantastic or it could be an absolute catastrophe. So that's going to be interesting. It, it's I think a lot of the Lakers this year are going to depend on if people are willing to play the way they need to play or if they want to play the way they want to play. I, I think it's going to be, I think they're, I think it could go a couple different ways here. And I mean, obviously for my own selfish interests, I hope it, I hope it doesn't go well. <laughs> Well, I mean, we can go a step farther than that with Carmelo. The Blazers fed him. I mean, Terry Stotts made sure he had playing time, no matter where he was starting or coming off the bench. The Blazers fed him his shots. How many how many isolation post plays did Carmelo get? A lot of them. And then they yeah. even played him in the fourth quarter and gave him vital shots sometimes. And of course, his three-point shot excelled here, which always helps you in Portland. So he got to, I mean, 28 minutes a game. If you had gone back two years and Melo's out of the league and not able to draw any time anywhere, you would not really imagine he's going to come back for near 30 minutes a game. And yet Portland made sure that happened. And that was part of the tacit contract here, I think, that he's going to give the team something they lack, but they also really had needs at his position and they were going to make sure that he was able to be Melo. What do they yeah. do in, in Los Angeles? Because LeBron's ahead of him, theoretically, unless he plays small forward, in which case, you know, if he does there, then he's starting next to Westbrook, LeBron, and AD. You know, hey, uh, more power to him. I actually hope it works for him. But yeah, this is going to be interesting. Carmelo. So Derek Jones Jr. staying, at least he's staying contractually. He may yet be traded, but I assume you're okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I, that was one when we did our keep or eat that I, I said we should keep. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, 
I, and I've said this before, I think we need to make the moves that we need to make in order to get the pieces that we need to get. And so if that means that, that he goes, then, then he goes, I mean, I'll, I, I would love to see him really get some playtime and really, you know, blossom into being part of the team, but it may, that may not happen. I don't know. He, he's a piece that can be moved. So we'll see. Yeah, he's one of those rare middle contracts that we talked about that right, kind of right. is in middle level that provides ballast uh, for bigger deals. So yeah, I mean, that, that'll be interesting to see what happens to him. Norman Powell, we talked about. So you have Ben McLemore, you have Tony Snell, and you have Cody Zeller. Any of those that particularly strike you as interesting or do you care yet? I mean- I'm kind of excited about Cody Zeller. I, I don't think he's going to be a huge piece for us. I, th- you know, he's not going to replace Nurk. Um, he'll be a support. He wears a lot of Christmas sweaters. <laughs> he's, he's one of these guys that I think we're going to like. I think he's going to fit in culturally with with the team. I think he's going to be fun. And and with Zach, you know, Zach is going to the Spurs. And just for the record, I'm very happy for him. I think. You know, with his circumstances, he very well could have ended up in a really sucky situation. And so I'm really glad to see him get a contract, not have to wait around and be able to go to another team even while he's recovering from an injury. So good for that. But, you know, Zach has been a little bit of our uh, that he's been kind of that personality. And I don't know. I don't know. Cody Zeller. I don't know how he is as far as on the court. I I don't know a lot about any of, of these guys. So I don't know how his personality is there, but I think he seems like he's going to be fun to watch. Um, I I don't know. I I don't think any of these guys are probably going to get a ton of playing time if they even stay with us. I think Cody Zeller is more likely to stay with us than the other two, just simply because he's in a position where we don't have as many people. But I don't know. None of these are are moves that I'm blown away at or super excited about. I wouldn't be upset if any of them were moved again. What about you, Dave? Are these names that that you're familiar with, that you're excited about? What do you think? Well, I mean, Zeller is, I mean, he's a serviceable, he's going to be a serviceable backup. He's got more mobility and I think overall serviceability to the Blazers than NS Cantor did, despite, I mean, Cantor will blow him away in rebounds. But did the Blazers really need that? Maybe. I mean, I loved NS Cantor when he was here. I loved the way he played, uh, all that stuff. But he was kind of window dressing, especially last year. And I think Zeller will be a little more solid. He's certainly more mobile. He can play defense, okay, uh, a little bit better. At least he can move around. Yeah. On offense, he's a high percentage shooter within three feet, basically. He's going to offensive rebound and put it back. He will not embarrass you with the ball when he gets it, but his range does not go out. I mean, it barely goes out to 10 feet. It certainly does not go out any further. But Cody Zeller has nowhere near the name cachet that Ennis Cantor or Hassan Whiteside did. But for what the Blazers need him to do, if Yusuf Nurkic is here, he'll probably do it as better than either of those did, even though he's not going to get anywhere close statistically. He, he will just be a nice piece. So I think he's not, not bad. Ben McLemore, Tony Snell, both three-point shooters at this point. That's their calling card. McLemore used to have a little bit more offensive junk in his trunk. He doesn't so much anymore. He's that three-point guy. Uh, Tony Snell used to be a good defender. That's his hallmark. Whether he can still bring that out is yet to be seen. 
mostly these are, you know, these are the kind of players who give you a few minutes here and there, mid-season, everybody's tired. But again, as you've pointed out, with all the crushing depth that the Blazers already have in the backcourt, it's hard to imagine them without another move making a huge impact. So, and Zach Collins, of course, yeah, wonderful bringing him up. I wish him well. I'm, I'm glad he got that contract. That's a great contract for what he's been through. And at least someone else sees the promise in him. There you go. San Antonio yeah. was willing to buy in and that's good. All Although they're now in the situation to do so better than Portland is. The crushing thing about that, of course, is what that means is the 2017 draft, which was Portland's big hope. I mean, that was the thing. Remember the three draft picks and this is the year and they accumulated for this. It's gone. Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan were the draftees that year. By 2021, four years later, neither of those players nor any of their residuals are here. So, I mean, they, they amounted to nothing, literally got nothing. There's no legacy. There's no anything. Uh, there, there's that that draft was an absolute bust for the Blazers. Not to say that the players were a bust, but they they got zero. You're not supposed to be able to do that four years after your big draft. If you drafted like somebody in the lottery and they were good, this would just be about when you think they would be getting good. It's not the time when it would be over, but for them, it's done. So that's in retrospect, that's really hard, but. Like, like I said, I'm, I'm glad for Zach and beautiful. I, I wish him well in San Antonio. I hope, he has, I hope he has a wonderful career. Injuries are so unfortunate. They just really are. Even, even the players that you dislike the most or the teams that you need to lose, when you see a player get injured, it's just, it's heartbreaking. That affects their job. It affects their team. It affects everything. And especially in the case of Zach, He's been injured for so long, and then to be at the point of recovery and re-injure it, that's just tragic, especially because it wasn't even during the season. He wasn't even playing for the team in the season when that happened. So it's that's a tragedy to have that happen. And and when that happened, I, I mean, we kind of knew that the Blazers were going to release him, but I really hoped that somebody would pick him up and take a chance on him. And I, I really hope that he's able to heal and get better and have a, an actual season playing with a team, you know, and, and, and get to do that again. I really, I really, I wish him well. I hope to see him back on the court. San Antonio is the perfect place for him to go because well, low expectations, but also their style of play and the way they use big men. It's, that's going to be very, very good for him if he can get healthy. They will use him well defensively. They will let him stretch his range and encourage him to do so. Uh, that's just could not be a nicer landing space for him. So, yay, they're sad for Portland. This is an adequate first step. They didn't blow it, but there's not enough data to figure out what exactly is going on and how well they did. If this ends up being all they do, I think we'll probably have words, as you said, but this is Blazer fans shouldn't panic. Step one is there. Step two is that exception. Step three is the trade. Step one went fine. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully this is not the end of the movement that we see. It's just kind of the beginning. Man, it's hard to remember that sometimes though, you, you know, especially as the teams around you are making all these big moves yeah, and, but the, the free agent class wasn't huge this year. I mean, the the ones that there's no. some that hurt. 
I mean, Bobby Portis, frankly, going for what was it, seven million a year, seven and a half a year? I, I would have paid that for Bobby Portis. Uh, I think a lot of people would have. I mean, the Blazers could have uh, been pretty happy with that kind of signing. I mean, and there were a few others. I mean, I think Miami obviously has done well. LA has done well, but LA has their own criteria. I don't think the Blazers would be necessarily better off with LA's signings. Um, no, I agree. Besides Westbrook, I'm talking about the around the edges. Miami, Atlanta, those are the other two. I'm not sure the Blazers could have done what those teams did. And those players, there are only a couple of them that you would for sure go, that's great. I think the Blazers have got value. The problem is, as always, the Blazers are like getting value on the penny and nickel slots. Okay, which is great, but you're going to win 50 bucks with the jackpot, right? Other teams are playing the quarter and dollar slots. And if they get those same jackpots, they're going to get thousands. So that's the thing is like, how good, how good are you playing these? You want to say yay, but at the same time, you want to say, you know what, you got to move up to another weight class. Well, and you know, things like the, the Jason quick article that came out for the athletic, where he qu- quoted something saying, basically, I'm, I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it in front of me because this, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but he basically said, that they believe that they've assembled one of the best starting lineups in the NBA. And it's like, you're looking at the starting lineup and it's literally the same starting lineup as last season. And we didn't do that great. So what is like, where, where are we, what I just, well, I mean, let's just, that's, go, yeah, let's go off the top of that's our heads. A little, that's scary to me yeah. to ha- that kind of, that kind of, and, and this is me. Need I remind all of you, <laughs> this is me who loves every single one of these players and didn't want to see anybody go that I even even for me, I'm at the point where I'm looking at this and saying, we can't just run it back. We can't just say we're going to do exactly what we did last year and expect different results. It blows my mind to see something like that in an article like that saying, hey, we think we've assembled one of the best starting lineups in the league surprise it's the same one as last year it's just <laughs> yeah it's it's a little bit delusional right it's like yeah Yay, i got you i got you earbuds oh you got me you know apple whatever i whatever those things are no 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 earbuds but they're really good i mean maybe they are they're good value maybe uh but when you're saying these are as good as apple i whatever those things are it's like you know no that's probably you know i would have believed it last year last season if you had said this i would have been like yeah this is a great starting lineup but then we watched them and and they struggled and i don't even i don't think they're bad and i don't think that they're I, I think there's potential there i think we've talked about that but it didn't work and so to me you can sit here and say it's the best in the world but if it doesn't work then it's not the best in the world so you could sit here and tell me that it's one of the best in the nba but it didn't work so it's not one of the best in the nba let's reevaluate and see what we can change and it's not just that it didn't work, it's how it didn't work with the systemic weaknesses that were there. And by the way, the bench has usually been one of those. I think it was a little bit stronger last year, but anyone want to argue this team is deeper right now than they were? I'm, I'm not sure that that's true. And again, we haven't seen all the signings, so maybe the mid-level exception will take care of that if they, if they care to spend it. But right now, I don't think you can say this team is deeper. And I don't think you could say this team is better balanced for sure. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're riding an awful lot on Cody Zeller and a new coach. That said, we can easily go down, I mean, define best, and it's a slippery word, but I mean, Milwaukee, obviously, 
world champions, you have to say that's a better lineup, right? I suspect you would say Brooklyn was, right? I mean, <laughs> we're not we're not going up against Kevin Durant, James Harden, and, and Kyrie Irving company, right? Miami, probably-ish. Philly, I mean, that you have to at least figure those four are in the conversation with well, two of them. Well, and they're also... They're also making moves to strengthen their teams, too. Right. So with two of them clearly better. Uh, and by the way, again, that was starting lineups, not teams. But still, and I guess you could quibble in that. Oh, we have a better starting lineup than Milwaukee. Okay, but stop. Okay. The Lakers, which I think you have to argue that anybody with LeBron and AD, that qualifies as a real good starting lineup uh, right there. So we're already five deep. Clippers don't have Kawhi, so maybe we excuse that. Denver just beat you, though. I mean, Denver, an injured Denver team beat you. So I don't know that you can claim that you're Ugh. clearly better than they are. So now we're at at least six. I think you can put Golden State in there, maybe seven if they're healthy. Who knows? So I, you're down to you're down I, to at least you might seven be or pushing eight. It now. Well, I don't know. You're down to at but, least. But you're your best seven. Um, wait, when do you call that best when they're thirty? Well, that's teams? what I was going to say. Know. No, when you're saying one of the best in the NBA, you, 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 that's top five in my mind. One of the best is top five. When you start hitting six, seven, eight, that's questionable. If you're in the top five, you're one of the best. Putting numbers aside, I just don't understand how you make that argument when it's literally the same starting lineup that we had. Let literally no change. Same starting lineup that we had last season that we couldn't win with. Not that now obviously we won some and we didn't, you know, but we were out in the first round and that's not good enough. We've made that clear. Everybody's been making it clear that that is not good enough. So how are you going to tell me that? And I know, I know circumstances change and all that, but what? I just, I just realized I freaking forgot the Phoenix Suns, who literally went to the <laughs> NBA Finals and the Utah Jazz. So I apologize, everybody, including Phoenix, and all of you who are yelling at your dashboard right now or your treadmill. Hey, idiot! Yeah, so, okay, we said seven or eight, but we left out Phoenix and Utah. So now, yeah. I mean, probably nine it's or just- ten. It, this is just this isn't the kind of team you run it back with. If you went out in you know the Western Conference Finals or even even the semifinals, you could maybe make some arguments for that. There's coaching changes. There's whatever else you can maybe argue that. But when you go out in the first round, it's hard for me to grasp this. We've assembled one of the and you didn't assemble it. It was already there. Like you didn't. <laughs> you literally just did nothing and still had it you didn't assemble it you held on to it it's just one of those things where it's so ridiculous that this is the narrative that's being put out there i, I don't understand i don't understand who's buying that we have the ninth, if I, ninth best lineup if and I'm no bench. Buying it, if i'm not <laughs> yeah. buying it you're not selling it very well because I, it doesn't take much i buy a lot <laughs> This doesn't take much. Well, they're going to say, look, when healthy and net rating and stuff like that. But again, I will argue there was a fair bit of losing and also a fair bit of choppy play last year when all five of those guys were playing together. Yeah, they did. They played a decent amount together. Yeah. And, and yes, there were good moments. And yes, in aggregate, it appeared to work. But again, what happened as soon as they got a team that was laser focused on them and could exploit the weaknesses? It didn't work, did it? 
It didn't right. work. And that's been the story. I mean, if we wanted that story, we could go back to 2016. We could go back to 2018. Uh, you know, we could we could tell that story before with lineups that included Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, who actually looked pretty good for stretches and had some nice stats and good net ratings and even sometimes good defense. But as soon as they ran up against a team who could exploit them, they were done and there was nothing they could do about it. I don't see that that's changed here. So, yeah, your definition of best is really interesting. It it feels like best it is a slogan, but not quite a reality. We've got the draft that Portland managed to sneak into. They got the number, what was it, 43? Yep, 43. 43 pick with, with Greg Brown. I actually am kind of excited about him. I think he was a good pickup. I think he's somebody who is a little rough around the edges. He's going to need some work, but I think he's got a lot of potential to be a good piece for us. So I, I think that was a decent move for a team that didn't have a draft pick at all to be able to kind of sneak in there and, and get somebody who I think can ultimately be a good piece for us. Yeah, I mean, it shows, the, I mean, the Blazers have traded away almost all their future assets at this point. So, I mean, they're certainly showing a commitment to make moves now, which I guess is good. Uh, Brown is unlikely to help them this year, but that's okay. If they believe in him, then I get, you know, it's, it's the 43 pick is, is not a huge sacrifice. They traded a, what, 2026 second round pick for him. So in 2026, we'll look back and say, well, we'll see if that's worth it. But I mean, that's no harm, no foul. And there are reasons to be excited about him. Basically, it's one of those things where you say, well, we trust the scouting system. And if they think he's worth it, it's probably worth it to take a flyer on him because you don't want him to not go after the guy they like at that position if they think he's going to make a difference. Yeah, I agree. And, and he seems like somebody who will be... A, a good move for us. We've also got Trendon Watford um, on a two-way contract. I don't know anything about him. I can't speak to him. What about you, Dave? Do you have any information about him? One of those people where you say, call us when you're on a one-way contract, right? So um, the infrastructure, and here's the thing that you got to remember. The Blazers are a, at an apex level as far as their evolution. Now, they're not at an apex level as far as their performance, which is the issue, but they're spending at or near or over the luxury tax. They're not a cap-saving team. They're not a flexibility team. They're an expensive team. They are also age level and experience level high, nearly across the board. So they have an, an, a huge amount of what you'd call surface cachet, but they have very little now infrastructure or future you know, assets left. That's kind of scary. They need to start rebuilding underneath that at some point, because what's going to happen is one way or another, you're going to harvest that that top level fruit uh, or talent, and it's either going to age out or be traded away, whether they succeed or not. And then what's underneath? And right now the cupboard is bare. And what you're really looking for is, well, if the, the roster doesn't work, you trade away those those high level assets for future flexibility. But you got to grow something up now. You can't just go, okay, I'm going to trade CJ McCollum next year for a draft pick the year after, or even a draft pick that year. And that's it. Because you know what, you got a big gap in the middle here. There's nothing before that draft pick. And so when that draft pick comes in, they're all on the island. And their talent isn't good enough to carry. And all of a sudden you win 15 games and you've only got one draft pick as an asset. So 
I think they're trying to build underneath. I'm not sure that this is the move, but I, I respect and encourage these kind of rebuilding the infrastructure kind of deal because it's, it's really, uh, the New York Yankees proved this for years. It's a major disaster to empty out your pipeline for anything short of ultimate success. And that's what the Blazers are on the precipice of doing now. We're in such a weird place right now because there's the part of me that says, do everything you can, forget the future, build around Dame right now, let's win a championship. There's the other part of me that's looking at this and thinking, I don't think that's going to happen. And so do we just try? And then in a year or two, we're in trouble because of exactly what you explained or it's it's a it's a weird place to be once again i'm really glad that it's not my job to actually make these decisions well i mean yeah. let's say it does happen let's i mean obviously any of us would take a championship but let's just say it falls somewhat short of that but is still okay let's say they get to the conference finals or hallelujah the nba finals like you can pin some level of success with this maneuver that's great how long does that last I mean, you're talking four years, four years. And, you like, you know, you can reasonably expect, by the way, if they hit that really successful jag, it's going to be in a year or two. So you got two years of super success, two years of wind down where you, congratulations, you, you took the best shot you could. And now, you know, Dame's 36 or whatever the heck he will be at that point, right? CJ's 35 right behind him. You're not going to re-up them for $50 million a year. At that point, you're just you're playing out the string, and it's going to be too expensive to do that. So you turn around and go, okay, what's next? What's next when they leave at the end of free agency? Which, by the way, you're not getting recompensation for that either because you let them play out their contract. Who's behind them? And right now, it's a big goose egg, and you've got to build up underneath that. I mean, I shouldn't say it's a goose egg. You got Anthony Simons, you got Nasir Little, but that's not a ton. So you've you've got to spend the next four years doing doing some rebuilding, even if the best case scenario for the guys you already have. We're in an important time right now for the, the future of this team and the, and the present of this team. Well, yeah, it's not just that. I should have said this, that everybody's mindset is still like this is 2017. This is not 2017. This is 2021. That people are acting like one or two moves and then we make a serious run. Okay. All right. That was actually 2017's mantra. And you had a lot of years ahead of you at that point. You didn't have this concern of aging and huge, enormous salary extensions and stuff like that. It was, it was on the horizon, but it wasn't there yet. Now it's here. This is four years after 2017. You've, that, you've spent an NBA eternity in that kind of limbo, not really going anywhere. And you're making four years ago decision now, but the clock did not stop. You've got to think like this is 2021. You've got to think like Damon CJ are 30. You've got to think like Nurk's contract is expiring next summer. And if you want him back, you're going to have to pay him a lot. And by the way, you just, even though you got somewhat of a bargain, you just have to pay Norman Powell a fair amount. There's all kinds of considerations now that you didn't have to make four years ago, which means that you've got to shift your mindset ahead. You've got to win and you've got a plan for the future, and you've got to be financially sound all at the same time. And if you let one of those balls drop, everything's going to drop. Yeah, we're in a, a weird place. It feels like we're teetering on this edge of a wall of a of a you know something high off that you can fall. <laughs> brain isn't quite clicking away but it feels like we're teetering on the edge where it's either 
you, you pull it back in and, and get on the roof safely or you fall off the edge and that's the end. It just, it feels like we're in this very precarious position. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the difference. That was brilliant, actually. You are walking the tightrope or the balance beam or whatever it is, right? But in 2017, it was the practice one. It was, you know, right. a few feet off the ground. You slip off, you try to get back on, right? The Blazers didn't slip off in 2017. They actually fell flat on their faces with some of the moves they made or whatever. But that's okay. The consequences weren't that, you know, enduring. You still had these years ahead to play with it. Right now, that tightrope is 30 feet off the ground and yeah. there's not a huge net there there's no there's no backup plan that's going to save you here so if you if you fall out on your face again you're right it's over that's the difference is the tightrope has been raising all these years and the blazers still have not learned to get off it it's hard right now to watch this all develop it, it feels like everybody's kind of sitting on the edge of our seats and just hoping that something good comes and and somehow they get it together or build the uh, safety net or build the safety net underneath. And that's the young players that we talked about. We are heading into summer league. Um, it's not young players though. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Well, it, it, no, it, it typically is younger players. Summer league, um, for those of you who aren't super familiar, happens in the summer. <laughs> They're so creative with their name. And it takes place in Vegas, and it's a chance for teams to kind of showcase their younger players and give them some playing time and, and compete. And But it's, it's an interesting situation because it's not all people that currently have contracts with the teams. And it's not all this year, especially it's not all young people. So the Blazers announced their summer league team. And, you know, there's a few that you obviously expect. You've got Nasir Little and CJ Ellaby who have been on our team. You know, CJ Ellaby our rookie last year, Nasir Little, our rookie the year before. You've got Greg Brown, who is our rookie this year. You've got Trendon Watford, who is our two-way contract this year. But then you've also got several other names, some of those names being G League players, some of those names being guys that have played overseas. And then you have a few veterans. So we've got Kenneth Fareed, who has was in the NBA for eight years before going overseas to play in 2019 so he's a seasoned veteran you've got michael beasley who played the better part of 11 years before he went overseas i mean he spent some time overseas during that time you got jordan crawford who also played overseas for a while and then you're gonna have to help me pronounce this one's last name emmanuel thank you i always butcher names who has played with you know, the Denver Nuggets, the New York Knicks, the Utah Jazz. So it'll be interesting. It's, you know, there's some guys here that aren't quite as young that have a little bit more experience actually in the league and, and playing professional basketball in other capacities, whether it be overseas or in the G League, uh, for a significant amount of time. So this is an interesting one. This is an interesting one for the Blazers this summer. Yeah, it shows a couple of things. First of all, what we just said, that they're not replete with young players. This is more veterans. Five experienced NBA veterans is a lot more than you usually have on your summer league team, right? Right. One or two, maybe. And a lot of teams don't even have that. But five, that's a lot. It also shows that there are some spots to be filled, perhaps in Portland. And so, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, a person looking to get back into the NBA, especially a veteran, will play for anyone because when you play in summer league, you're not just angling for the team you're playing for. You're showing off right. for everybody else, right? Right. But 
for Portland to have five there, there's something percolating there that eh, there's going to be maybe a roster spot. So do any of those names excite you more than others? Just for personal reasons, Michael Beasley, you know, I have some personal connections with him because of work and uh, I've been seeing some of the work that he's been doing, watching him get a chance. You know, he's one of those guys I think will be entertaining. (laughs) So, but other than that, I mean, there, there's some names on there that I think will be interesting. I think it'll be fun to watch all of them. I love a good second chance. For me, there's, I know that there's people that say, hey, give the young guys a shot. Let them come in and play in summer league. Don't bring in the older guys. But I love when people get a second chance. I think, you know, a lot of these guys, they work really hard to be where they are. And some of them leave the NBA for whatever reason, or maybe they never got their shot there. They went overseas or they went to the G League and, and they wanted a chance. You know, I, I love the story of Cameron Payne, who played with the Suns this season, you know, last Last season, I was literally standing on the court shooting him for G League, and and he was playing in the G League. And then this year, he played a significant role for a team that almost won a championship. And I love that. I love these guys that just fight so hard to be where they want to be. And I, I love to see those things play out. So for me, when you have some of these veteran players going into summer league and really playing their hearts out and and you know, vying for a second shot at their dreams. I love that. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see the Blazers run all five vets out there at the same time, just dominate. I mean, I'm not sure they would dominate, but it would be funny as heck. Like, oh no, we're not going to lose this quarter. <laughs> here's, here's all five guys and just yeah. watch the old guys run. You know, uh, Mude actually intrigues me because, you know, Blazers could use a somebody who can handle the ball and pass. They still don't quite have that. So that could be interesting. I like Jordan Crawford too, honestly. The others, not so much. I don't want to get you in trouble with Michael Beasley, but I've long had, <laughs> please, for this is me saying that, not Dia, and you can yell at her to yell at me. But I actually have the Beasley line is, is a phrase I've used before. It's, it's used to indicate desperation. Like when your team is desperate enough to give Michael Beasley a chance, that's not a good sign. Bees, you're talented, I'm sure. I mean, offense, I, I give all due credit. There's a reason you have to you have to have something in order to get that named after you. And it, the tantalizing ability, the whatever. At the same time, it hasn't worked out for a lot of teams. Maybe it's not Michael's fault. Who knows? But uh, yeah, so that the Blazers are treading the Beasley line makes me a little nervous, personally. You have Fareed. I mean, offensive rebounding machine when he was back in Denver, but he's older now. And also, I mean, Ennis Cantor looks like Hakeem Olajuwon on defense compared to what Kenneth Fareed does. So, I mean, as a backup center, if you want just as much rebounding and even worse defense, (laughs) it's probably that Fareed's your guy, but I'm not sure that that's the solution. It would be fun from a name perspective, and the Blazers don't have a lot in the front court right now. But yeah, I mean, that's that's probably not going to work. I forget who the fifth guy is, but... You know, I'm thinking along the lines of Summer League. I wasn't thinking past that. I I don't know how well any of these guys would fit with the team. I mean... I want to see Fareed teach people how to offensive rebound in Summer League. That'll be funny. Like, because especially a lot of the bigs that play in Summer League are either young journeymen or young draft picks. And Fareed should theoretically eat them for lunch. That will be hilarious. Um, Also, Nasir Little. He's the, he's the other guy because we think... I go ahead. am such a fan of Nasir. That was it. I was just yeah. interrupting you. No, yeah, that. that's fine. 
<laughs> so we think Nasir has something to show. And this yeah. would be a nice coming out party. Then the Blazers three spot, you know, look, if he comes out and scores 24 a game and plays really good defense and hits his threes in summer league, like he owns the place. And he, that's not impossible to imagine. Now that's yeah. not going to get him where he needs to go, but that would be a really good sign because the door is open for him. He is clearly the star, the guy on this team. And he has the potential or the, the, at least the permission, I think, to, to take it over. If he's got it, showing it right now would be a great thing. Now, if he doesn't, that's not a fatal sign, doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't show up there other than he didn't have a great summer league. But if he, if he can light it up, that would be a really good sign. Yeah, I, I'm just such a fan of Nasir Little. And it was so fun to watch him really kind of blossom last season. I felt like he started to really show what he could do by the end of the season. And it just makes me even more excited to watch him this season. Um, I think he's a fun player to watch. I think he's got a lot of energy. I think he's going to be somebody that is going to be a great asset for us going forward. And uh, I get really excited about him. He was one that I was really, really hoping we would hold on to. And so I've been really glad to see that we have. Trade's not done so yet, far. Trade's See, this not is done. the stuff that kills me. So, yeah, I mean, that that's another one that if we lost him, I'd probably cry a little. But uh, he's just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think he's going to be fun to watch. He will be one to watch for yeah. sure. And on both ends, let me make that clear. I don't want, you know, I don't want to see Nasir Little go out and, and score his way. Uh, I think a lot of people can, if they really were to insist, score 20 in, in a summer league game, right? I mean, established NBA people probably could. But to see Nasir Little play an overall game and kind of dominate the court, maybe make the all-tournament team, because he's just a firebrand out there, and he's absolutely controlling the game on both ends, that would be an encouraging sign for me. And, and then, automatically, I think the Blazers look a little better, because then if you make that CJ deal and Norm slides, then you know you have something besides Derek Jones Jr. at the three. I think he's one of those that's going to be a crucial piece for us. And I, I, at least, at least coming from the bench, I mean, that's one of the things that we struggled with was not having depth. He is one of our better bench players. So I think, you know, hopefully, hopefully this is going to be his year, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do in summer league. I think that's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, you know, that Carmelo's 14 points off the bench are there to be taken. You know, right. Nasir is not going to play the same style that Carmelo is, of course. Right. And the Blazers aren't going to automatically feed him the way they fed Carmelo. But those right. shots are there to be had still, even yeah. with Ben McLemore on the team and Anthony Simons still there. You know, Simons was there last year and Carmelo still got his looks. So Nasir, step up. I mean, and, and that everybody's going, nobody's going to stop you. Let's put it that way. Nobody's going right. to stop him from showing everything he can be right now. There are things to watch. That is for sure. We have things to watch. <laughs> team USA, the men's basketball team at the Olympics right now, they are advancing to the semifinals. That puts them in contention for a medal. If they win, if I think I'm right here. If they win this, then they, they will get a medal it will be it just depends on then what place they get depending on yeah, the they finals, have one more obviously. game for gold and silver yeah right. yeah so this is you know it's it's good to see them there it's it was they had a little bit of a rocky start but they seem to be doing better full disclosure i have not been watching the olympic games i've got other stuff going on right now and i just have not been able to but 
um, I've been kind of following along and it, it seems like they're, you know, starting to mesh a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's basically true. I think that they're playing law of averages rather than pushing it to the to the floor. Maybe they're holding something back or maybe they're just going laws of averages are going to carry us to a gold every time because we're deeper and we're better. But it feels to me like they're playing relatively slowly. They're playing, obviously they're playing matchup ball with some screen and roll and they're passing it. They are. But there's not a real frenetic like storming of the court. It's more like, you know what, you're going to hang with us for a couple quarters, but we're going to get a few extra rebounds. We're going to hit a few more of our shots. And Kevin Durant and sometimes Damian Lillard are going to score a few more points than your stars. And basically that few more is going to end up to 12 to 15 points at the end of the game and you lose. And we don't have to put ourselves at risk beyond that. And I, I think that's legitimate. I worry what happens if they run up against a team on a real hot streak or a team that is willing to push it to the metal and just go all out. And I worry uh, because Australia is next. And as Adrian Bernicic, who is a writer here uh, at Blazers Edge and from Australia, will tell you, uh, Australia is destined to go all the way. So for Adrian, we've got to say this is a scary game. I'm not sure that it really is, but the interesting one will be who comes out of the other side. Is it France? Yeah. Or is it Luca? I mean, they're going to get one or the other. They're going to get Doncic or they're going to get uh, France. And they already lost to France. Now, I'm not sure they'll lose twice to them, but that'll be uh, the gold medal game is the scariest probably. But that said, I will say this. This American team looks like it is capable of losing on the wrong night to anyone, except they're wrong. Yeah. You know, anyone that's good. That's one of the dangers of this kind of tournament play versus like our system in the NBA is you get one shot, you know, you get this, it's this game is make or break. This game is make or break. This game is make or break. And that continues. Whereas, you know, here in, in the United States, in the NBA, in the playoffs, that it's the best you know, four of seven. So you've got a couple whoopsies or you've got a couple, you know, you're not going to get just a team having an off night versus a team having a hot streak. It's going to be the better team overall that wins. It, whereas in, in a, in a, in play like this, you sometimes have a team that just has an off night or a team that hits a hot streak and that can do it. Well, and what are they doing? They're playing sensible basketball, which is good. I mean, obviously, you'd want them to. But they've got NBA players, but they're basically playing on a level field with each other. In other words, other than Kevin Durant, sometimes, there's no huge pecking order or distinguishment. They're hitting the open man, which they should do. But functionally, they're usually hitting the open man to set up a three-pointer. So you have... Damian Lillard shooting a three-pointer or Drew Holiday shooting a three-pointer or Draymond Green shooting a three-pointer, all of which end up being basically the same thing, differentiated only by the percentages and if the ball went in. In other words, there's nothing that special or unique about it being a particular player ending up on that play. There's not a lot of alley-oops or other stuff where you go, that's the NBA advantage there. And the problem is that the other team can also get streaky and usually has a lot of three-point shooters nowadays. So it kind of it's a little bit flatline. On average, the NBA guys are going to be better, but it doesn't look like they're NBA guys that are that much better. It's the NBA guys doing the same thing as the other guys, and there's a potential always to go cold and not be better on that given night. 
you know, if, if it were all about Durant, for instance, if this were a Durantian game, if they were playing Durant ball, and I don't know what that would look like, but, you know, just Kevin, give Kevin the ball, and there was a contest of people who were going to take the ball on the wing and either shoot the three or post up or do a billion other things. Kevin Durant would do that better than anybody in the world, let alone on that Olympic court. That's not what's happening most of the time. It's, it's, it's that three-point shot. It's that basic basketball. You want to applaud him for it, for being unselfish, very kind, very nice, very smart in a way. But you're also going, boy, you're giving away a lot to play a game that the other guy can also play. You know, I really hope that they win. Obviously, I hope they win a gold medal. You know, when Dame got selected for this Olympic team, one of the first things I thought was, well, at least at least maybe he can win a gold medal. <laughs> you know, That should be something. So I hope that they win. Obviously, I, I'm, I am an American, so I want the u.s to win i hope they win but it's it's nice to see good basketball being played either way yeah well and ricky rubio scored like 40 on him uh when they played spain and dwight james actually point out pointed out that dame got pulled dame didn't play down the stretch somewhat perhaps because of defense and and this is this is the issue i mean ricky rubio not a threat offensively most nights huge threat to pass and a good defender but when you think of offensive players ricky rubio is not high on your list of players you're scared of that night he was better than everybody on the court including lillard and durant so that's the scary thing about this and when rubio was better by the way the americans didn't have a guy who individually you got even better. And again, you can argue, they're not supposed to do that. They played the team. Yes, they kind of played the team game and it was better. You know, I get it. But what happens when the opponent gets that guy that you can't defend and is going crazy in international ball because that's his thing. But then the rest of the team also shoots better threes than you do. That's the scary thing. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. But if it did happen, the, the, the Americans are a little bit late in reacting to it. And I just really worry about the scenario where there's two minutes left or one thirty left and they're down eight. What's going to happen? Because they don't have that. I'm going to take over the game. You know what happens if it's Portland? That's Lillard time. You know what happens if it's Brooklyn? That's Durant's ball. If that happens on Team USA, that would be a huge shift and a way they're not accustomed to playing right now. I, I, I hope they just stay out of that situation so it's a moot point. Yeah, let's hope. Hopefully they can, you know, have a good, solid couple games here and, and take home take home a goal. Yeah. I think that's all we got. Yeah, well, that's enough. I mean, next week, uh, <laughs> yeah. next week there'll be probably more signings or whatever. There'll be a little bit of summer league to talk about. Holding our breath, all of us holding our breath. Trade soon, trade later, trade as the season gets closer. I mean, you're going to hit the August. It's not a moratorium. You're going to hit the August vacation time when uh, things don't go down. Except it'll be later this year. Probably won't be August. It'll probably be, it'll be pinched. Let's put it that way. But you're going to hit a couple weeks dead time. If the Blazers haven't made a move before that dead time, you start to get nervous. The other time you look at is just right literally as training camp starts. Right before training camp starts is usually another hot time. So there are a couple spikes here of activity to watch for. I anticipate the Blazers will do something in those. If not, we're going to have some really interesting conversations as the season starts. And by interesting, uh, it's not a good thing. <laughs> I'm going to have to like get you a fan or something to calm you down. And I have to start drinking. Uh, yeah, no, the Blazers aren't worth drinking for. Yeah, trust me on that. There, there are better reasons to drink. But 
You might have to start like, you know, breathing, yoga, that kind of thing. Mindful meditation. We'll and, have to start doing something. Not throwing a fit every time there's a press conference. I mean, that's good. Yeah, I, I definitely think that this offseason has, has shifted how I am a fan. I will always love the Trailblazers, but this has been this has been a little bit of a defining year in my in my fandom, I think. So well, and the thing is, honestly, those who have come close to the Trailblazers, I mean, uh, obviously, you keep a distance, and there's idealism, and sometimes I think it's easier than others. You always lose some of it as you get close to any professional sports team or any, you know, actors, wrestlers, whatever it is. There's always a curtain, and if you look behind it, it's not the same. That said, there's a lot of gravity behind the Blazers curtain. And those who have gotten close in a lot of ways, I think, find that, that there's, there's a sense of disillusionment that happens with this particular incarnation of the Blazers that shouldn't happen, given what's in front of the curtain. What's in front of the curtain is really likable. You know, let's hope that either what happens in front of the curtain is so overwhelming that the like just overwhelms it, or that we don't have to peek behind the curtain much, or that whatever's behind the curtain changes. Let's hope. Let's hope we have a good season, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, define good. No, we're going to have the best season. We have uh, one of well, the best seasons. I mean, we are, we are one of the best, one one of the best. best starting lineups yeah, in the top, NBA. Top third. One of the best we defenses. Should, we should stop. Let's stop. <laughs> we were the best 24 defenses in the whole NBA. Oh, that means actually okay. one of the best defenses in the world because the NBA, I, I mean, of I, all the teams. I, how many teams are there at your local YMCA? How many, how many sixth grade teams are there? We Look at all Dave. the basketball teams in the world. There are literally thousands and thousands. And of we all the him. stars in the him. galaxy, <laughs> of all the, I mean, Hubble Telescope, you know, shining down. This has down. been Dave and Dia Look at the junior Blazers high schools. <laughs> and you will find out that there are only 23 defenses better oh, in the whole world no. than Portland's. On that note, it's been fun. <laughs> And we will see you again next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave comes here now to you. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>